And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Alan Barnhart, President and CEO of Barnhart Crane and Rigging Company. We've sent people all over the world to really hard places. We had a guy in Yemen just a couple months ago, had a guy in Iran recently. So we're going to some very hard places and meeting some amazing brothers and sisters in Christ who are they're more committed than we are. They're more godly than we are. They're, they're amazing people. And we get to be a small part of their, their work um, by contributing some, some financial capital. And that has been a life changer for our folks. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert at Bottom Line Faith, and this is the program where we look into the engine of Christian leadership, and we have the opportunity to tinker around in with Christian leaders, uh, their, their mindsets on leadership, how they lead, how they live, uh, how they succeed, and how they fail. And as you know, if you're a regular listener to our program here, we have had the incredible opportunity to interview some amazing Christian business and marketplace leaders from coast to coast. And today is going to be no different. We have an incredible guest, Mr. Alan Barnhart, the president and CEO at Barnhart Crane and Rigging Company in Memphis, Tennessee. And Alan, thanks for uh, agreeing to spend some time with us and welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. And, and Alan, we're going we're gonna to learn about your story. We're going to learn about principles and successes, and you've done some amazingly unique things with the company here. We're going to get to all that. But uh, just take a moment and share with our audience what your company does, and then we'll get to the personal side of things. Well, great. We, uh, we basically pick up and move heavy stuff. So we do that. Uh, we have 40 branches around the U.S., and we uh, work mostly in heavy industry, a lot in the power industry. We put up wind turbines. We do a lot of work in the nuclear power plants, a lot of work in oil refineries and, and uh, steel mills. So mostly it's heavy industrial lifting. So I live in central Indiana. So just north of Lafayette, there are these just countless wind turbines. Might your equipment put all that together? Yes, we put up wind turbines in probably 25 states, so we've, it could be. Could be, very good. I always know it's a rainy, uh, real windy day when I drive by when they're turned off because we don't want those things flying off those poles, <laughs> so that is great. And uh, give us a little bit of history on the, on, the, uh, on the business here. Great. My mom and dad started the business back in 1969 with a pickup truck and a ladder and a welding machine, and um, they operated the business for about 17 years out of uh, our international corporate headquarters was two bedrooms of our home that I grew up in. <laughs> and uh, it was very much a mom and pop business. And they wanted to keep it very small and controlled. And uh, so that was that was the start of the business. And you uh, you said before we began this interview, you said you have a really boring resume. So I think you got involved very early on, it sounds like. I did. I was a paper boy for a little while, and then I came and started working for the company and worked all through high school and college, um, and I really have never had another job. Came right out of college and came to work in the business. So. What different roles have you had over the years? Well, I've swept the floor, and I've been an iron worker and a crane operator and a salesman and a dispatcher and done, done pretty much everything. I'm an engineer, um, and uh, so basically done it all. 
what what I've learned in examples like that is you probably know pretty much everything, all the jobs that exist in the company, and so you can probably sometimes know when somebody's uh, trying to pull one over on you, right? Well, you, you do, experience helps a lot, and doing the same thing for thirty years is is a big help. Uh, but but as the company has grown, there's still now there is so much that I don't know, and and a lot goes on because we have a lot of talented people, and we let them do their thing, and so I it's uh, as we've gotten bigger, I haven't been able to be as completely involved in each project. And how long have you been in your current role as president and CEO? Um, since 1986. So 31 years I've been in the same role. How's that for boring? <laughs> <laughs> You're very good at it and love it. And it sounds like you may have some future Barnharts in the pipeline, perhaps. I do have a son who's involved in the business, um, 26 years old, Nathan, and uh, he's a project manager right now. I learned something, folks, before we went on the air here, that there's a very strong lineage here to the orange and white. You want to talk about that a little bit? He's smiling. He's smiling big, folks. Go Vols. Yeah, we, uh, my, my wife and I met at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and uh, four of our six kids have been in school there. So it's, uh, we have a kind of a family tradition. We like to go up and watch the Vols. Very good. Well, being from Indianapolis, we have Comp Peyton Manning. You've probably, yeah, yeah, you've probably heard of that guy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good. Well, well, Alan, you really have set the, a trail in many ways in this area of leadership and of as a Christ follower in business. Would you mind taking just a couple of moments and sharing some of the unique things that uh, you've been a part of uh, with what you've done with ownership and structure and kind of how things are, are set up here? You know, when we started the business, my brother and I were partners. We were 50-50 partners. But as far as we were concerned, um, everything that we have, everything that we are has come from God and belongs to God. And so we're stewards and not owners. And that's the way we always looked at it. Um, when the company grew um, in, the, in, the, in 2005 to 2008, the company grew a lot from a $50 million company to a $250 million company. And... Uh, and became worth a lot of money. And as far as we were concerned, God owned the business. As far as the IRS was concerned, my brother and I each owned half. And if something happened to one of us, there was going to be massive estate tax issues. And as we started going through that plan, we said, this um, it's so expensive and difficult. We, we need to try to find a way. This is God's company. Let's see if we can find a way to give it away. And so we... Uh, in 2007, 2008, we gave away 99% of the company, and then a few years later gave away the last 1%. So we're no longer the owners, but in our mind, we never were. We're the stewards of the business. Now, wait a minute. Let me get that straight. You said we gave away the ownership of the company to God. Structurally, what does that look like? Well, the, 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 there's a charity that, sh that owns the shares of our company. The National Christian Foundation, it's in a trust there, and so they, own, they are the stockholders of our company. We continue to control it and operate it. We're the, uh, we're the trustees of the voting trust, so we, we operate the company day to day. The charity didn't want to do that, was not willing to do that. But we, uh, so we continue to be uh, full steam ahead trying to have a great company at, as stewards like we always were. We just don't hold the, the shares of stock. That's incredible. I, and maybe on another time we could talk, it reminds me of Stanley Tam. Uh, God owns my business from up in uh, Lima, Ohio. W was there any inspiration from Stanley's story? I heard Stanley's story a little after that, but uh, you know, very similar yeah. concept. And uh, and I think it. Uh, some people think it's crazy, but I think for for believers, it makes perfect sense. It's just a natural extension of what we believe. God owns everything. Everything has come from Him, and if having it having the the shares of the stock in a different um, uh, entity 
is beneficial to the kingdom, then why would we not do it? That's phenomenal. So this was uh, roughly, what, eight or nine years ago that you were going through this planning process, it sounds like. What did that do for you or in you and in your, 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 your heart or day-to-day, your thought process? What, what, what was that like for you to go through that process? Well, it was not a traumatic thing. We had, in 1986, when we started the company, we had said that God owns the business. And all the way along, we have just taken a salary from the company and used the proceeds of the company for kingdom purposes. And, and so that started from the very beginning. Um, and so when we decided to put the company into this trust, it was not some gut-wrenching, yeah. uh, hard life decision. We had done that back in 86. And so... Did you feel any sense of relief or you talked about getting the IRS out of the equation? Maybe that that was a good thing. Oh, it was. That's that's exactly what it was. It was it was relief. We were, were stewards and we want to be good stewards. And we felt like we had a hole in our stewardship as we, you know, if one of us had died, we hadn't really uh, been good stewards of that potential uh, issue. And, and so putting this in place gave us additional freedom. And have you, you've, you've had a chance, you've shared this story all across probably the globe, perhaps, right? And um, I'm going to speculate here because we haven't talked about this, but I'm going to speculate that perhaps you've shared this story and, and maybe there was some rich young business person that's come up to you and said, I could never do that. Uh, and maybe there's one listening right now to the program thinking, wow, I could never do that. What, what would you say to them? Well, you know, I mean, some people do think it's kind of crazy. We did this when we were in our 40s, and, and our, our first set of advisors said, this is a bad idea, don't do this. But but uh, I, to me, it's just, I'm an engineer, and I, I try to, I'm logical in the way I approach things. And this just seemed a logical progression of what I believe. I believe that everything I have has come from God. I believe I'm going to live forever. I believe my life on this earth is a small speck of my total existence. And I think um, being a steward um, has been an experience of freedom, not an experience of bondage. So we've had 30 years or more of, of walking this, and we've just uh, seen it as a uh, not some gut-wrenching, hard, uh, disciplined thing, but just as freedom that comes from God. So we've, we've seen it as a, a natural, logical thing to do. And I think you mentioned, do you have six children? Is that correct? Yeah, six kids, yeah. And um, what was that like, um, walking them through that process as well? I know perhaps some of them were younger at the time, but what was that like as a parent, and what lessons were you able to pass along as a result of some of the business decisions you were making? You know, we've told our kids that we want to leave them a rich inheritance of, of work ethic and faith and education and ability to make their way in the world, but that we didn't want to leave them a lot of money. And that we thought money was dangerous. And we had kind of lived our life with the fear that, that that came from all the warnings we saw in Scripture about money. And so my kids have grown up with that um, uh, lifestyle and uh, have learned to be content with you know, all the good stuff in life is free. And my kids have had a great childhood. Um, when we finally got the actually got the paper signed and the company was given away, my oldest son came to me and said, Dad, hey, thanks. Thanks for doing this. I, I know if something had happened to you, it would have been a big mess for me, and I really appreciate you putting this in place. So um, they, too, never really saw the company as, as theirs. It's, uh, it's always been God's. 
I'm, I'm amazed. I can imagine I have three kids of my own, you know, I'm trying to instill some of those same values. I don't have those same res- amount of resources, but I have resources that have been entrusted to me, as does every one of our listeners. And so what advice along these lines um, would you give to, to a business uh, owner or leader who's building a company and understanding that they are a steward of what God has entrusted to them? But God may or may not speak the same to every person, right? And so we're all on a journey. But what what kind of principled advice would you get? And please also talk about the dangers of money. I I wrote that down. You, you that was a statement you made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, on the dangers of money, Jesus talks so much about it. I mean, he said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all forms of greed. On and on. He went. He told the parables of the um, the four soils and how the third soil was. The, the the deceitfulness of wealth choked out the fruitfulness of the person. And um, on and on in Scripture, um, you can't serve God and money. There are just so many verses that would talk about money being a danger. And so as I read the, I read through those when I was when I was in my early 20s, and uh, it really is what set the trajectory for us as we were looking at all these verses and the concern about both the the reality of stewardship and the danger of affluence. Um, is what caused us to put some of the things in place that we did when we started the, when my brother and I started our company in 1986. And so, uh, what advice would you have? Well, I'd say, I would say, handle money with care. Jesus talked so much about it, and this was before Madison Avenue. This was 2,000 years ago. It was a big deal then. It's yeah. a big yeah. deal today. Yeah. Um, do it on purpose. Um, when it comes to decisions about money. Um, I think that most believers would say God owns it all. So ask the owner what he wants you to do. And, and don't do what comes naturally in this area. Like, like many areas, if we, don't do what come, if we do what comes naturally, we'll mess up. And if, we, if, we be in, if we're intentional and looking at what Scripture has to say, um, it will lead to freedom. You know, constraints in our life lead to freedom. And a life without constraints leads to bondage. And I think so godly constraints or constraints that come from Scripture are there to, to lead us into freedom. And, and that's what we found. That's incredibly countercultural. You know, when we're living in a day and age where everybody's just kind of like, do your own thing. And, and uh, postmodernism, you're talking about these, so that there's incredible freedom in constraints. And so I want to transition in, in that vein around lessons learned, that uh, maybe some biblical principles that along the way uh, you learned, but maybe had to learn, I don't want to say the hard way, but had some consequence to it. But tell us a little bit about a couple of the main lessons you've learned as a Christ follower in business. Well, I think I think the big struggle for me initially was staying in balance. I was working 100-hour weeks and, and really pushing hard to try to make this company. It was really small then and trying to make it go. And I neglected a lot of stuff, and particularly my wife. Um, and I think uh, it caused damage. I mean, it causes damage that, that you live with the rest of your life almost. So, I mean, we're still married. We still have a wonderful marriage. But, uh, but I caused some damage, and I think that uh, was a pretty severe lesson to learn. Things you can't get back, right? Times and events missed and special occasions and things like that. And so do, do you see that you are now able in this chapter of your life uh, to, to share those lessons and to pass those lessons along? And, and are you finding a next generation of leaders responsive to the lessons you've learned? You know, I am. I, I think actually this, this current generation likes the whole concept of profit with a purpose, 
rather than just profit. And uh, that's one of our core values is profit with a purpose. Um, what I think this generation maybe needs is more of a push on on hard work and and being willing to to do what it takes to ge to generate value to create value then and generate profit. Um, so, um, th but we 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 think that the the whole purpose to b business is something that is. Um, beyond just accumulating money, and I think that that's resonating with young people now. And, and on that vein of, or that kind of subject area of working with a purpose, you, you've talked about the, the structure of the business, giving away stock ownership through the charity and that sort of thing. Have you always seen the work itself here as ministry, or was that something that had to be learned along the way, that the work itself was glorifying to God, not just what we do with the uh, prophets? No, I, that's exactly right. And, and that's, that came to me in college. When I was coming out of college, I had grown a lot in my faith then. And some friends were telling me, Alan, you need to go to seminary, or you need to go on staff with Young Life. Do something significant with your life. Anybody can do this construction stuff. And, and as I looked at it, I realized that, that all of us who are followers of Jesus are in full-time ministry, and but but we need to take, we need to use our skills and gifts in God's service, and and you don't have to work for a charity to be in full-time ministry, and that that God had gifted me more in the area of of engineering and business than He had in preaching, and so uh, that my full-time ministry has been in the business world, but I think our work does matter to God, and I think coming up with a good strategy or or creating a new piece of equipment. It's just as glorifying to God as writing a sermon or, or a good song. Or, I think it's all of us using our skills and gifts. And he's gifted me more in this area. And so this has been my path. I love that lifelong passion of mine as well. And so uh, let's speak for a moment to that person who's listening to the program right now. And, and maybe they've sort of felt like, uh, well, maybe God will call me into ministry. Or does God really care about how I lead? Or does God really, you know, the guy running one of your cranes out in the field, you know, does God really care about that? What, what would you have to say to them to encourage them as their mission field and understanding that? Oh, God has called you into ministry and he has gifted you and, and use your skills and gifts in his service. And uh, um, he asks us to love him and love other people. And, and the skills and gifts that you have will allow you to do it. And so put them to use. I love the story. Uh, there are very few times in the Old Testament, the original language, it talks about actually the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we read about that after Pentecost and so forth. But uh, there is a time in the Old Testament that's mentioned that the Holy Spirit showed up, and that was with the blessing of those who were building the temple, those who were cutting stones and wood and, 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 and the, the rock. And that's what you're talking about, right, is there's, there's honor, there's dignity, and there's ministry in the working with our hands, Right. There definitely is. I think, you know, we say that the purpose of our company is to glorify God in three ways. One is by doing good work, and we think good work glorifies God. The second is by communicating what Jesus has done to others and, and sharing our faith. And then the third is try to generate as much resource as we can for the kingdom. And so we try to make money, and we try to, we try to become valuable to our customers, create that value, convert it to profit, and then use it for the kingdom. Hmm. 
Folks, we are talking with Alan Barnhart, president and CEO at Barnhart Crane and Rigging here in Memphis, Tennessee. This has been great. I'm on the road uh, this week getting some incredible interviews, and, and Alan has been sharing with us the, the story and the journey of literally turning the ownership of the company over into the Lord's hands, which is quite freeing as we've learned from him. Uh, Alan, how would someone uh, learn about the company and uh, where they could read more about you? Yeah, our, our website is barnhartcrane.com, and you can see some of the things that we do there. We, uh, we don't, um, we don't on our website, on our website, we're a business, we're a, we're a secular business. So we don't have a lot of, uh, the information about the ministry things we're involved in. Um, but, uh, they could Google my name and there's some, there's some, uh, videos that are on the, on the internet. And on that vein, actually, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you as well. You, Because of the processes and systems that you and your family have made over the years, you've had an opportunity to travel globally and, and share this story. Uh, is there ever any danger in that, in the, the notoriety of that, and how, how do you process that? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a big deal for us. For the first 15 years we were in business, we didn't tell anybody our story. We just put our head down and worked and made money and... and uh, uh, contributed to ministries and and but some people challenged us and they said this is not your story this is God's story he's done an amazing thing at your company and you need to be willing to tell it it will be an encouragement to others and so we uh we kind of embarked on that adventure and we had a stewardship of the story a bit and we've been willing to tell the story and and I'm not a great speaker and I'm not on some speaking tour but uh, when people, you know, some of the time when people ask, we're willing to go and, and share the story. Not, not just myself, but several other guys here in the business. And where do you, uh, that, that's awesome, because that, it can't be a comfortable thing. You know, like you said, you're just putting your head down trying to do what God's called you to do. And, but yet he does call us into our discomfort zone sometime, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, where, where, as best you can tell, uh, you're getting up each day doing what God's calling you to do. But where do you see the company going from this point? No, I really don't know. I've never been a big 10-year plan kind of guy. Um, if I'd ever made one, it would have never been right. And and uh, But I, I think we want to continue to get better as a company. We want to be a better place to work. We want to be an employer of choice for our people. And uh, that's, a, that's a semi, not a new focus for us, but a, a rejuvenated focus is to try to be a great place for the people that work here. We have about 1,200 people. And not, not all of them are believers by any stretch. And um, but but all of them are human beings, and we want to be a great place to work. And um, sometimes the the push of being great at what you do, uh, you can lose some of that. But but I think the two are complementary. And so uh, you mentioned about twelve hundred. Uh, you call them teammates, and ga- uh, what's the term you use today? The team members is okay. what we. Uh, yep, team members. And so. Um, can you share an example of how this culture may have impacted? No names, of course, but can you tell us a story or two of how this culture and what you've done here has made a difference for the kingdom and the lives of those who work for you? Yeah, I mean, first first thing is we we involve anyone who wants to in the process of figuring out what to do with the money that the company makes. So initially, there was about six there were six of us that got together and prayed and said, "God, what do you want us to do with your money?" And now that group is about eighty of us within the company, and which includes some spouses that are part of that process of figuring out where to send this money. And we have a a pretty extensive process. That's been a life changer for guys because 95% of our funding is international and 
we've sent people all over the world to really hard places. We had a guy in Yemen just a couple months ago, had a guy in Iran recently. Wow. So we're going to some very hard places and meeting some amazing brothers and sisters in Christ who are they're more committed than we are. They're more godly than we are. They're, they're amazing people. And we get to be a small part of their, their work um, by contributing some, some financial capital. And that has been a life changer for our folks. So that's one of the, one of the major elements. And th- those, that's for the people that are interested and want to do it. For all the people, we try, to, um, we try to give them a great place to work. We try to communicate our faith to them. We try to help them in areas of marriage and of finances and and uh, counseling and uh, and we also we involve try to involve everyone in the company slightly in our giving through a platform called Co-Tribute where they're all able to designate part of the company giving to some local ministries. So. Um that is a, a very inclusive process, but it's also got to be complicated to have that many voices and opinions, and uh, and yet, and not all believers, right, as you've mentioned. And so uh, how have you handled situations where maybe requests have come in that weren't consistent with the values or the kinds of um, uh, uh, charities that, that are not consistent with the company? Sure. On the major giving that we do, all of it would be uh, for for organizations that are overtly Christian. That's just a given. Um, for the co-tribute platform, which is really small dollars, we're, we're I'd say, more inclusive and would allow some, uh, these are gifts of $25 or $50. It's so a relatively small amount of money that we would be less um, uh, solid about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, for, the, for the, the major giving that we do, it's all overtly Christian. And if someone wants to enter in, they need to understand that, and almost everyone who enters into that process is a believer. Very good. And um, just, my goodness, time is flying by. We've got just a few more moments here, only about five or six uh, minutes. But I, I'm really curious, one of the questions, as you think back over the course of your career, if there is one thing, and this may be an unfair question, so you can tell me, <laughs> if there's one thing you could go back and do differently, what would that be? What would you do differently now with the, the hindsight of wisdom and experience? Anything come to mind? Well, I think, I think two quick things. One would be, and I mentioned earlier about neglecting my wife and, I, and, and to some degree my children. I think I would, I wish I could have done that differently. Um, the second is, I think there were some, some personnel decisions that I wish I had done differently. Some people that I allowed to stay in the company too long. Mm. Or, or people that I should have never allowed to be in the company. Um, so some of those uh, those decisions hurt the whole team, and, and there have been a few of those that I, that I have regretted. Well, we've read uh, Patrick Lencioni's his work talks about culture-eating strategy for lunch. I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Absolutely. Strategy is way overrated. Culture, culture eats it for lunch, as does execution. That's perfect. So uh, just two more questions in, uh, one along those lines. You're sitting across the table from a potential key hire in the organization. What would be the kinds of questions or the kinds of things that you would share to help determine is this person a right fit for the culture here? It's a good question. I want to understand their path, how they think, how they have made their career choices. I'm looking for a person that is interested in taking on responsibility, not in an, a, a position, mm-hmm. and uh, a person that can understand servant leadership. 
Those are great insights. And folks, we're talking with Alan Barnhart, President and CEO at Barnhart Crane and Rigging in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, this is Ray Hilbert, your co-host of Bottom Line Faith. You can learn more about this program at bottomlinefaith.org and about the ministry Truth at Work if you're a Christ follower in business and you're looking for some tools and resources and encouragement, perhaps even interest in participating in one of our roundtables. Check that out at truthatwork.org. Well, Alan, we are down to the last question. We talked about this before going on the air for the interview here, and I like to call this my 423 question. And uh, this is based out of Proverbs 423, these words from Solomon where he says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. And there are many biblical scholars who believe that these may have been among Solomon's last words. And we know he gave us such incredible uh, insight and wisdom that we have in uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and so forth. And so kind of the word picture, Alan, that we look at is imagining that uh, Solomon is at the end of his time, this side of eternity. He has an opportunity, perhaps nearly on his deathbed, and he's gathering his loved ones, his family members, those who are most precious to him. And he gives him, them his above all else advice. And he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. So let's turn the clock forward. We don't know when that day would be. But you now have a chance. You've gathered your family, your loved ones, those most precious to you, and you now are going to pass on your above-all-else advice. So, Alan, above all else... Love God and love people. Is it really that simple? It will. It really is. And I think if on the guard-your-heart piece, I think, I think this whole area of money is a big blind spot, and I would say be careful in that area. Jesus warned us about it so much. Be careful. That's incredible. I've been encouraged just by learning more about your story. I've seen your, your videos online. I've heard you in other venues. But to have this chance to sit down in the quietness of your office has been a blessing for me. I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And I thank you for your faithfulness, for your family, and all that you're doing for the kingdom. Is there anything else that you would share maybe as a word of encouragement? Perhaps there's a business owner or a leader listening to this program, uh, someone who's dis discouraged in their leadership. Any last words of encouragement that you'd uh, care to pass along? I would say just continue to be faithful in where God puts you. And everyone's story is going to be different. Um, God has given us all different opportunities. Be faithful where you are. Well, folks, there you have it from Alan Barnhart. We're in Memphis, Tennessee. I am your host, Ray Hilbert at Bottom Line Faith. Alan, thank you so much. You're so kind to extend this time today and uh, just appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Great. Thanks for coming. Folks, we'll catch you next time at Bottom Line Faith, where we lift the hood and tinker around the engine of Christian leadership in the marketplace. Until next time, this is Ray Hilbert saying we'll see you soon. You've been listening to Bottom Line Faith, powered by Truth at Work. For more information, to subscribe to the show and listen to past episodes, join us online, bottomlinefaith.org.